We've reached the end of 2 Timothy with its vision of a church where every member serves. And we need to know there is a cost to building a church like this. The more dependent we become upon one another, the more it will hurt when things go wrong. So let's turn together to 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 4. And this morning, uh, we're going to see four examples of the cost of building a church that serves. I cannot wait to preach my other sermon on this passage and all of the things that I'm leaving uh, unpreached. But we're really just looking at the cost of building a church that serves this morning. You see there in verse 10, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. It's a very strong word, deserted. It can be a word that describes the sole survivor of a traumatic event. And when Paul says deserted me, what we get there is this sense of the the very personal cost to Paul of, of the loss of a friend. This is not the first time you read about Demas in Scripture. In Colossians 4, Paul writes, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. In Philemon, He's mentioned alongside Mark, and he's described there as a fellow worker with with Mark and with Luke and with Paul. This is three people who together wrote 16 books of the New Testament. So this is a key player in their service team, if you like. And now he's let them down. Demas has failed them. Why? Because he's in love with the present world. This is a brilliant translation of the Greek word aeon. It's not the earth, the dirt, it's not the the globe, the world, it's not the cosmos and all of the spiritual powers around the world. Uh, Aeon gives the sense that there's something about this day and age, there's something about the mood of the day, a, a zeitgeist has got a hold of him and some thought of the age has come into conflict with the unchanging word of God in that man's heart. The message translation of the Bible is really good on this. And if you've got the Olive Tree app and you want to just zip between the ESV and the message, uh, you can do that. It says, chasing a fad, he went off and left. It's pretty clear, isn't it? And the warning, of course, is that if this can happen to Demas, a fellow worker alongside three apostles, then surely it could happen to any one of us. And in fact, there will come a time for every one of us where some desire of our hearts comes into conflict with the word of God and in that moment, we must make a choice. Which one matters to us the most? Many believers, servers even, will will fall away at a moment like this. We'll be ticking along quite nicely in our faith and we'll come to church and we'll hear in the sermon about all of these aspects of living a Christian life and none of these things will affect us in any material way because they're not our thing. So we'll go, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and we'll nod and go, "Uh uh-huh, that's right, preach it, pastor. We'll say at the end of the day, good sermon, thank you, pastor, very much. That'll teach that lot over there with the problem. And then out of nowhere, suddenly God puts his finger on your thing. And in that moment, you must decide, can he have it? Or should I leave? Should I run away? 
Is Jesus the sovereign king and lord and judge of your life, or in your mind, just a member of the borough council? Not in any way to demean, of course, the significance of local office. They're worthy of respect, of course. But they're not exactly the highest authority in the land, are they? Is that where Jesus ranks in your mind? Robert Yarbrough, your, your, your tutor, your, le- your lecturer, I guess, uh, says, Demas has set his affection at least to some extent on this crumbling world order, not the kingdom of God. So there you have it. Even key players in the church can fall away. People who've served in key positions, they might have taught a class, they might have uh, sat on the stage, they might have become pillars in the church, but they can let you down when something comes along that matters more to them than God. And when it does, church, it will hurt. It will really hurt when they abandon you. Here's the second cost this morning of building a church that serves. And the second cost comes from those, uh, not those who kind of flee and desert you, but those who we have to force to leave. Much more rare, thankfully. It is possible, though, that we find a case of this, a case of excommunication in verse 14, where it says this, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. Just by word of aside, uh, ironically, I was to be called Timothy, but while my mum was recovering in hospital, my dad ran down to the registry office and called me Alexander. He said it was a strong name. <laughs> it's a Bible name. <laughs> Not a good one, though, is it? Uh, unlike uh, Demas, actually, we can't be fully certain who Alexander is. There's a thin hope that there's more than one Alexander in Scripture, and one of them isn't so bad. But uh, there are several references to people in Scripture with this name. And uh, in First Timothy, there is an Alexander there, so I'm speculating it's the same guy. And uh, he was a member of their church, and he was excommunicated from it because what he did was he blasphemed. I don't mean that he stubbed his toe and shouted the word Jesus as a swear word, or he let out an OMG on Twitter. I mean that he defamed, those are blasphemies, but what he did was much worse. He defamed Jesus Christ. He accused God of being the one in the wrong. That's what Alexander did. So what's going on in in this guy's mind that he thinks it's okay somehow to judge Jesus? Maybe you've heard people say something like this. I could never believe in a God who would think like that. Or, you know, I could never imagine that my God would say a thing like that. Uh, Not in this day and age. God wouldn't say that. Or maybe even more bold. I don't need to imagine it because I can see it with my own eyes. I've read my Bible. I see that indeed God does say that. But I don't like it. It must be wrong. From my perspective, it cannot be true. It seems wrong to me. Maybe you've heard those things. Uh, When I got my first motorbike, I was really into cleaning it and cleaning all my gear so that it looked immaculate. Uh, But I didn't have all of the materials that I needed to keep it in in tip-top condition. And then for some reason, a young man, I decided to clean my visor with oil. 
Not a good idea. It's a horrible idea, actually. It distorted my view. And uh, I, there were certain things, actually, as I put it down at night, that I just couldn't see at all because of the smear. And I would just wonder if Alexander is a little bit like that. You know, it's as, almost as though what he's done is he's placed some sort of distortive lens over the Word of God, something that, that lets through certain parts but screens out others. Something like that, perhaps. You cannot ride a motorcycle and be unaware of certain things. You know, my truth is, there is no truck. (laughs) Not a good idea. And of course, uh, it is right to question your faith. That's a good thing to do. It is correct to wrestle with doctrine and Christian ethics. And uh, of course, if, if some aspect of Scripture compels it, it is a good thing to change your mind. And if we're going to be a church that does that kind of thing, then this has to be a place that is safe to admit to things that we do not know, a place to be vulnerable and to confess things that we are struggling with and to explore some of the most sensitive subjects of the day with grace, without fear. This is not a cult. But ultimately, when we teach what we proclaim must be the truth. It must be found within the Word of God. And if someone claims a rival authority to teach to us a contrary word, then for the survival of the church, they must go. Alexander, verse 15, it says, is strongly opposed to our message. Now, what is the message that is so precious to the survival of the church that opposition to it must itself be opposed It is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the message that is being proclaimed, that sin is real, but grace is realer. That Christ took on flesh for the purposes of taking on sin so that he could be judged for that sin and die for that sin and resurrect for us, guaranteeing for us an everlasting life, if and only if, exclusively if, we put our trust in him. Alexander was not a builder. He was a wrecking ball. Paul says, beware of him. So there's two painful losses for us. There are those who wander off because really they want to do something else. And there are those who who must be put outside of the church before they destroy it. But there is a third type of loss that we find now in this passage. And Unfortunately, it is guaranteed. Verse 20. Paul says, I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. So one of the costs, surely, of building a church that serves is that uh, we become more intimate, as Ben said at the beginning of the service. We, We become more interlinked as a congregation. We become more interdependent upon one another, much more, I think, like a body than a building. And then, of course, when suffering comes to one of us, in that moment it comes to us all. We've all been in church, haven't we, and we've heard that some church lady has passed away. And we go, ah, you know, we don't know her. We just know what to look like when that piece of news comes out. What about when the person who welcomed you into the church for the first time is on their deathbed? What then? And what about the one who served you communion two weeks ago? 
But what about the one who made your coffee and handed it to you just a few weeks ago? And what about the one who read the Bible in the church? What then? You know, maybe not the AV team. They don't count. They're weird. Right, they sit on their own. No one talks to them. <laughs> That's not true, Terry. Uh, but uh, what, what about those people that have served you when they get sick? How does that feel? And maybe that person has prayed over you. Maybe they've come to see you in your home. Maybe when you were sick, they were the one that brought you a meal. Uh, maybe, maybe they were the one that hired you for this job. And when that person gets sick and faces death, it really hurts. Breaks your heart. Because it's not just the church lady over there. It's a part of you. It's a part of your body. And if we're going to build a church that serves, church, we're going to build a church that loves. And then by necessity, we are going to build a church that grieves. There's no other way. How amazing is it and shocking that Paul, with all of his abilities, this is a guy who raised the dead. Remember that sermon Paul preached and he was going on so long and there's the boy sitting in the window and the boy yawning, he just falls asleep, he falls out the window and dies in the street and Paul's like, oh no, and like this is a bad sermon. And he runs down and he brings the boy back to life. Remember that one? Uh, you know, Paul has the power to raise the dead and uh, he is unable to heal his friend and so he left him. Sometimes you cannot fix everything. So you can see the cost, can't you, here, of building a church that serves. And uh, you can see the temptation to kind of isolate ourselves from suffering. And let's just professionalize the church. Let's just build a really big church and get a really clear stage. And we'll put some really bright spotlights up and we'll professionalize everything. Let's build a church instead that just consumes. And that way no one gets hurt. and keeps everyone at arm's length. But that's not a biblical vision of a church. Fourth, the fourth cost. If we're a healthy church, and I believe we are, if we are a healthy church, as members grow in their gifting, which they will do as they serve, as they use their gifts, they will grow in them, then we are going to end up having to send some of them out to use them somewhere else. That's how the kingdom of God grows. So, for example, uh, so for example, in verse 12, he says, uh, Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. Even in Paul's desertion, instead of clinging to competent people, he's sending them out instead. Uh, Tychicus, another person who appears rather a lot in Scripture, totally reliable dude, but now it's time for him to go and build somewhere else. Every time... We advertise the work of one of our major mission partners. In a sense, we're doing this on a tiny scale. We're doing this kind of a thing. So we say, hey, do you have the Holy Spirit? Cool. Want to serve? We've identified in you this amazing gift that could be really powerful for the upbuilding of the church. And you could use that gift right here, but please don't. Please go and use it somewhere else because you're needed somewhere else. A church that is soundly built 
can handle this. A church that is constructed upon the foundation of the word of God, that is taking it seriously and is serving, can handle this. And so what we see here in this, this cost of building a church that serves is that, that people sometimes leave a church for very bad reasons, but also people leave a church for very good reasons because they've been promoted into glory or because they've gone out to serve in the mission field. And although people do leave a church like this, they also join it. A church that grieves with hope and serves the community that it lives amongst, attracts people. Look very briefly, verse 9, Timothy is coming. Verse 11, Mark is on his way. Luke is already there. Jump down to verse 21, Eubulus, Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. This is telling us there are many, many people in that church with a ministry. They're named because they're doing something. And if you've heard all of this in this sermon series, and you've thought to yourself, yeah, but that's not me. I can't serve. I don't have what it takes. I'm not like one of them. I have nothing to offer at all. I want you to know that sometimes serving in church can be incredibly simple indeed. For example, verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak. Why? Verse 21. It's cold. <laughs> Such a weird verse. Uh, you know, what do you do in your church then? You know, what's your job? Well, I brought a cloak. Really? Is that it? Is that all you've done? Yeah, well, a billion people know that I brought the cloak because it's enshrined in Holy Scripture for eternity, so it's pretty cool. What do you do? Huh? I'm a pastor. Oh, wow. Are you? Are you in Scripture? No. Uh, see how Alexander is. <laughs> see how simple ministry can be? You know, as simple as getting someone's coat, and that's worthy of making it into the Word of God. Wouldn't you love to be the cloak bloke? <laughs> That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Or the scroll girl, or whatever. You know, let's be equal. Remembered for the whole of posterity as a model of ministry in the church. Cool. We've uh, taught our kids to ask three questions when they want to find someone to date. Number one, are you a believer? Number two, where do you go to church? Number three, what do you do in it? And if the answer is, or anything other than, I go here and I do this thing, bah, you don't need that kind of a drag in your spiritual life. You don't want to be dragging that with you for the rest of your married life. In fact, they'll be dragging you away. This summer, we renewed our baptismal vows, many of us in this room, and we promised before the Lord to commit, connect, and contribute. We made that vow. Now, I'm assuming that that was not an elaborate act of liturgical perjury and that your intention was not to say it and do the opposite. And so if you wish to remain faithful to your baptismal vows, what we did is we deliberately created these five service team ministries, uh, five simple ministries. And of course, they're not the only way to serve. 
And if you're really plugged into serving somewhere else, you're regularly hosting people in your home or you know, you're starting a group or you're with one of the mission partners or you're plugged into something for the kingdom somewhere else in, in the city or whatever, uh, you know, don't feel obliged. And if you're uh, exploring your faith, you've been in the church for a little while and you're not quite sure if you're a believer yet, don't feel as though you need to suddenly be serving. You, you may well be here to fill up. And of course, uh, if you're suffering like Trophimus, do not feel that uh, you're a bad Christian because you cannot serve. But the hope is, most of us will. It's normative. It's sinful not to. And here's the hope. If you uh, join one of these sermon teams today, you will build the church. You'll minister in it. And you will never serve alone. Not ever. Even when Paul felt alone and everyone had deserted him, he says in verse 17, the Lord stood by me closer to Jesus than he was and strengthened me. Stronger in Jesus than he was. If you're not feeling very ready to serve, you should serve. You'll grow in your faith. So will the church that you build. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you call us to serve and for the example of the cloak bloke. And I do ask, Lord, that in the, the real simplicity of this thing that we're trying to do, that uh, there'd be an outpouring of your spirit the strengthening of the church, and uh, a growing of the church. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be encouraged by the results of the day. 